Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Performance Anxiety. This week we're doing a special reunion edition of the show. We're thrilled to have legendary producer, engineer, and studio owner Don Zantara joining us. He's recorded many of the albums that define the sound of early punk music. His clientele ranges from Minor Threat, Bad Brains, and Fugazi to Henry Rollins, Shudder to Think, and Dave Grohl. He tells the story of how he began recording bands in his Arlington, Virginia basement and how that evolved to become Inner Ear Studio. Don was also in a band in the early 80s called Under Heaven. They reformed and will be playing shows beginning this week. Check out Under Heaven on Facebook at underheaven-dc. Check out Inner Ear Studio at innerearstudio.com. Follow us at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram. Check out our merch at performanceanx.threadless.com. Subscribe, rate, review, and I hope it's as much fun for you to listen to as it was for me to record this episode with Don Zantara. Hi, I'm Don Zantara of Inner Ear Studio, but more famously, Under Heaven, and you are listening to Performance Anxiety. I'd, I'd like to be surprised. I bet you can't surprise me. I probably can't after hearing some of your the interviews, but uh, I'll do my best. Um, okay. Hey, tell me a bit, little bit about the podcast. Sure. It's uh, I've started a little over a year ago, and uh, it's basically about artists and creative people uh, and the really interesting stories that happen behind the scenes. You know, for an example, I've had uh, some recording artists talk to me about some of the weird things they've done in the studio to get the sound that they want uh, for a certain record. You know, weird. I've had one one artist tell me they stuck their head in a piano to get the reverb that they wanted out on the song on their vocals. Yeah. Weird stuff like that. You know, strange things that happen on a tour. Um, So just weird, interesting stories. Um, Whatever runs across your head, something that stands out. If, uh, if I, a question sparks something, you feel free to jump in and, and say that reminds me, you know, whatever whatever story jumps into your head. So, sure, it's really casual, and I've I've had I've had some really cool people on um, besides yourself. I've had uh, producer Bob Rock on. I've had Steve Turner from Mud Honey. Um, I had Ev Gold from uh, Cinema Cinema. Who? Oh, I love Ed. He said to say hello. So, ah, m- tell him all, all my love goes out to him. I love. I they've got a great mission and they do good music they are wild i'll tell you it's it is a their album that's i'm trying to think if it's come out yet or not then i don't think it's come out yet uh it's insane it's it's it is so unique and so energetic it's Uh, yeah it does have the energy doesn't it oh yeah (laughs) so they they were so thrilled that they got a chance to work with you so uh i I reached he actually mentioned that he was really unbelievably stoked to be working with you before Howard reached out to me to have you on the show. So when Howard reached out, I'm like, Oh man, I got to tell Ev. So he was like, Oh my gosh, I don't really have any stories, but tell him I love him. I said, hi, I said, you got it. So, <laughs> okay. So, so mission accomplished on that point. Terrific. Terrific. Um, and I don't know if you're a big baseball fan, but go Nats. So 
<laughs> I, I'm not a big baseball fan, but there are a lot of them in the city, though. <laughs> oh yeah, I live in Winchester, so I'm not you know I'm not too far from yeah. you. Neat. That's great. That is great. So, and in fact, I'll have a question for you about that closer to the end. But, uh, but okay. so uh, I guess what I first the first thing I want to know about is how you got into music. Uh, how how old were you? Were you playing instruments? Uh, how did this whole obsession with music get started? Okay, this may take till midnight. <laughs> um, I started out basically just as a just a uh, young jerk, about uh, eight or nine, and uh, I was always sort of uh, getting into things and you know not causing big trouble, but you know just uh, a Dennis and Menace type stuff. Right. And so my parents wanted to um, to sort of get me into some sort of musical discipline. They figured it'd give me some reason in life or something like that or whatever it is. So and I grew up in a, um, in upstate New York. Okay. And, um, and it was a, it's a Polish community. Now what's the big instrument in Poland? The squeeze box. <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. right. Accordions. Here we go. Exactly. Polka. Exactly. So, um, they took me down to the music store where they have lessons and stuff. And this is about the time I'm dating myself when Elvis was coming on the scene. Okay. And so they were starting to actually give guitar lessons. Okay. And so I had a choice, accordion or guitar. <laughs> now, what gets the girls? Accordion <laughs> or guitar? <laughs> I'm going to go with guitar only because I, I my dad took accordion lessons and it took him a while to find my mom. But, um, uh, he actually got kicked out of accordion lessons. They, really? Yeah, wow. the uh, the uh, guy giving lessons. See, so my my grandmother said uh, she was kind of the same same situation. My dad and my uncles were all getting in trouble as kids, and so they all right, we're giving you lessons. So she gave my young my one uncle drum lessons. The other uncle got guitar lessons. My dad got accordion lessons for some reason. Wow. He got two lessons, and the instructor gave my grandmother her money back and said, "Don't don't even bother." <laughs> he has no musical ability at all. So I'm not sure that's a good teacher, but that's you know, the way it is. <laughs> well, yeah, it was in the yeah. you know, you know I'm not flagging accordion either. I mean, accordion is you know throughout every culture, it's a big instrument. Oh yeah. Very, but anyway, I took guitar, and I took lessons. Uh, you know, the the usual music book lessons. I forget what it was called, what the course was called. Uh, and I learned to read music, and I was a pretty good student, and and, and a decent guitar player. Never practiced, but that was beside the point. <laughs> and then, uh, then I sort of took my guitar and just put it in the closet for a little bit. Okay. Um, and a friend of mine who had started along with me uh, came over one night. Um, this is after I quit for about a year or so, and um, he um, he said, you know. Uh, there's a new group out, the Beatles, and you want to learn some of their songs? And um, What do you mean learn some of their songs? He said, I'll, I'll show you. He, he was, at this point, he was more advanced than I was when I quit on guitar. Okay. He said, pull it out. And I pulled the guitar out of the closet. It wasn't in great shape. I figured, I um, figured in order to not make the strings rust when I put it away, I'd oil them. Oh, Okay. So they were very oily. <laughs> uh, we managed to get that off. <laughs> and, and, well, they didn't rust. Well, that's, that's wow. 
I never, yeah. I, you know, I never thought of that. Yeah, but they, they didn't sound real good <laughs> no. either. Uh, but he uh, he showed me basically uh, some of the Beatles songs. You know, he, uh, I saw her standing there, right? Uh, stuff like that. Um, awesome. And yeah, and and all of a sudden it clicked. These are songs I could play, and I like to play them rather than just doing the road stuff, the academic stuff, the Mel Bay stuff. Yes, exactly, exactly. So I got back into playing guitar. Okay. And, you know, you, you start getting into it. Uh, and I was about, I don't know what, at that point, 13, 14 years old. Okay. And this was an acoustic guitar I had at the time. And um, eventually, after a couple years, I finally got an electric guitar, cheap, something like that. And a couple of my friends were really good electronics people. Okay. And we're talking, you know, 13 or 14 years old. I mean, these, these guys were fixing TVs at the time. They were, oh, they wow. were really good. Yeah, one of them, uh, the two, one of them was turned out to be a um, Navy uh, rocket scientist, oh, and the nice. other one was a uh, research scientist for Xerox. So they're, oh, wow. they're, they're, they're not dummies. I don't know how I hooked up with them. You know, <laughs> you know. But they said, you know, they said, hey, you could, you could hook up a lot of different stuff with this. I, I had a tape recorder at the time, I think I had. Um, for practicing into the tape and listening to myself. But he said, you could hook your electric guitar into a tape recorder. All I have to do is we have to get in there and do a little bit of soldering, put a few wires in there, put a jack on the side, and you could do this. Wow. And it, it I did. You know, so we had, uh, you know, I had an amplifier through my tape recorder with a three-inch speaker playing the guitar. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. That is crazy. <laughs> It is. It is. It is. And I played out with some groups uh, at the time. Okay. We would have this little mixer, this little Radio Shack mixer, and we plug all our guitars in there, and all of that would go into this tape recorder amplifier, and all of it coming out of a three-inch speaker. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, the volume was not overwhelming. No <laughs> one was bringing earplugs. <laughs> <laughs> But it was it was amazing the way I was getting into this. Hey, you get a, you can have a little mixer here. You can put that into the thing, and then we of course we have to have a microphone, and we get the microphone going through there. Oh. And it got me thinking about the whole electronic side of things. Okay. And yeah, I would so, imagine. Yeah, yeah. So um, so I just kept going along and just played in a lot of bands and played with groups, and eventually got a real amplifier. Um, Fender Vibrolux, but it doesn't matter. They're all Ooh. kind of the same. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And this is all uh, taking place up in Rochester area, right? Taking place in Rochester, New York. Uh, exactly. I, went, I went to college in Rochester. Really? Yeah. U of R? No, RIT. RIT. Yep. Studied, really? studied photography there for a few years. Yeah, a friend of mine did too. A good friend of mine. Uh, it's it's the best place. What, what years were you there? Oh, uh, I was there 91 through 93 and then i left yeah so i i had some other stuff going on that wasn't so fun so okay <laughs> yeah. yeah but it all worked out i then well, that's good still shooting to this day that's good not professionally good. but just, but still have the love for it so yeah i was uh i was just up there quite a bit this past year or so i had an aunt up there oh um, you go to nick tahoe's I didn't go to Nick Tahoe's this time around. I had to stay with her. She was kind of uh, on her last legs. Oh. And things. Yeah, that's the way it works. That. When you're 93, it's, you know. Wow. Things yeah. <laughs> Maybe well, she could have used some Nick Tahoe's. 
She could use some Nick Cobb's. Yes, exactly. It was special hot sauce. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think I did stop in at Bill Gray's. Oh, wow. Down by, you know, by my sea breeze there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the House of Guitars is still is still hanging around from what I hear. I stopped in the House of Guitars. You got it. I mean, it just, I could just walk through there and it's just, it's magic. It really it, is. It, you know, it was, it was, I know we're getting a little off off topic here, but this is, that's kind of the way the show no, works. No, we're not. <laughs> this is good stuff. It really is, and if everybody, if anybody gets a chance to go up there, you first of all you got to check out Nick Tahoe's, but you got to do it at like two in the morning. Yeah, and then House of Guitars, and I mean they've got Jimi Hendrix pants hanging up on the wall. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. it, it's and it's the, the biggest mess I've ever seen, but somehow they know where everything is. Yeah, it it, it looks like a mess, but yeah, they know where everything is, and you open up those drawers underneath the guitar cabinets, <laughs> and it just effects all over the place you know oh, it's, it, there's, yeah there seems to be no rhyme or reason but you say hey this is what i'm looking for oh you can just go over here and open yeah. a drawer and there it is it's wild oh. it really really is wild it's a great place though yeah it is and i did a um uh, just recently just about a year ago i did a uh, sort of a greet and speak and thing down in one of the coffee houses there near um near the eastman school of music oh okay. and yeah, and did a little uh, little music. I think I played about five or six songs or so. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, was... still know a few people up there. Uh, a couple of my teachers still teaching up at RIT. So. Mm, that's nice. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, RIT is great. It is a it's, great a, it's a weird school. I, I, I don't know if, if, if anybody ever told you this about the school, but you know the climate up there very well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Apparently... When they were building, when they were moving RIT out of the actual city of, of downtown Rochester into a, the sure. Henrietta That's campus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They moved it to, to Henrietta. They were trying to figure out, they weren't going to design a campus. They bought a uh, campus design from, I guess, some architectural firm. But they did, the design they bought was meant to be built in Arizona. And so really? the entire campus is designed to create a breeze to go through to cool the campus down in the, you know, the hundred degree Arizona weather. Oh yeah. Which is yeah. the worst. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a quarter of a mile gap between the residence halls and the academic side. And mm. it's just the worst thing to try to traverse that in the middle of a Rochester winter. Yeah. Oh, uh, it was, I don't want to say a nightmare trying to go between the two, but that's why they built all the stuff underneath it. There's all the tunnels underneath the campus and all it's, it's a crazy place. That is. That that sounds terrible. I didn't know about that Arizona architectural thing. Ah, that, see? That, I surprised you. Yep, you did. You I got, got you. me. <laughs> you got me. You got me. All right, so I, I'm sorry. We I just totally went off track there. So, uh, so anyway, uh, anyway, all through high school and stuff, I, you know, just played in bands and all that. Uh, some drama work. Uh, not much, really. And never was a good, real guitar player or anything like that. Never was any real good bands. But the reason I mentioned that was because uh, I'm not sure if 91, uh, you ever hear of the band called the Invictus? It sounds familiar. I, I'll be honest. I don't, it's not coming to me, but it sounds like something I've heard. They were a Rochester band that around, oh, late 60s and during through the 70s, they had a, a hit called Do the Hump.
Okay. <laughs> and, you know, and it's exactly what it sounds like. Um, repetitive and, um, you know, it has that rhythm to it. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, that's beside the point. But it's, you know, there's there's bands. There. It's, Rochester's actually a good city and actually has a pretty good punk uh, mentality about it. Oh, okay. Yeah, when I was there, it was uh, the beginning of all grunge alternative stuff and everybody was mm-hmm. kind of leaning that way. But uh, I did have a bunch of friends in bands and they, they were, yeah, I mean, they, I could, some of them were native to Rochester. Others came, you know, we came from all over. I was, I was living in New Jersey at the time, but uh, yeah, there were, I knew a couple friends in some punk bands. So yeah, I can see what you're saying. Yeah. And then punk and alternative and grunge were kind of like, they're a little bit touching each other, you yeah. know, and they're, yeah, so it, it was it was interesting times. Yeah. So uh, I decided to get out of that climate because, as you know, it's pretty bad, yeah. and to go into someplace much better for college. So I went to Syracuse University. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sunny <And> Syracuse. I, <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. It's, it, I I have no idea. <laughs> it, it must be masochistic, guys. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> There's something about that, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was you know, it, it was it was worse in Rochester, quite oh, frankly. God. I mean, it's not as bad as Buffalo, but it's it's um, you know, it's it's bad. Yeah. It's just they're all bad up there. They're, yeah, it, it's snow like eight months, uh, snow on the ground eight months out of the year almost. Yeah, right, right. You get up there to school, and you have a couple months of kind of nicest weather, and then it's just all winter. Yeah. Until, I, until the end of the year. I remember my freshman year walking out of the, because we had darkroom sessions and studio sessions. I remember mm-hmm. walking out around nine o'clock at night, sometime in October, and snow starting to come down. I'm like, wow, yeah. that's early. Little did I know. That was right on that's, schedule. <laughs> yep, and it exactly. Was, and it was going to stay there. Yeah. Last October around this time, I visited my aunt. And uh, I got snowstorms coming back, going down through, you know, lower New York State. Oh, God. It's really bad. It's a, It can be a beautiful area, though. Yeah, it can be. Oh, it is very nice. I mean, you know, if you catch it uh, around September, uh, August, you know, the, the summers are hot. Yeah. You know, but what the heck? And the winters are very gray. The winters are gray. Yeah, right. that's why they have big houses there, so they tell me, so that, you know, you spend all your time indoors. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. All right, yeah. so, so you, you go to uh, school at Syracuse. What are you studying? Right. Um, I'm studying art. Okay. Don't ask me why either. <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I mean, I figured that uh, art is one of those things you can't really define or quantify so that, man, you know, maybe I'm good at it right. or something. <laughs> so I, I, I'm studying art there. And during the summers, I come back to Rochester to work. I worked at Kodak. Uh, during the summers, of course, everybody's worked at Kodak. There. Oh yeah, and um, you know, and that was a lot of fun. And then towards the end part of my uh, when you when you're in your senior year, they don't let you work there at Kodak. Basically, oh. they want you to sort of move on to different things. Okay. So I was I work with the city uh, public works on the highway crew. I was a jackhammer man there. Oh wow! Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, kind of, kind I, of fun. I mean. It, I can yeah. see that, actually. Yeah, and sort of, you know, I remember just hot, hot days working out there with the spreading asphalt. Oh, my. And, you know, I'm jackhammering up the, you know, the highway there. Um, oh. You know, hmm. I can see where that would be fun. Yeah. I can definitely, yep. 
I could see myself doing that for a little while. Maybe like, maybe, you know, maybe a summer. Yep. Yep. Well, and uh, so anyway, the, at, at the end of the senior year, you're too young to remember, but there was a, a thing called a draft lottery. I, um, in my senior year at Syracuse University, uh, they had the lottery and they picked the numbers and my birthday was number one. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I figured I would have a free vacation in yes. Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. No? Different climate from Rochester, at least. Different climate than Rochester. But um, I was playing it a little bit cagey. And I, um, I signed up for graduate work at West Virginia University in Morgantown, West Virginia. Oh, yeah. And so they called me in for the physical. I said, hey, I'm in Morgantown now. You know, can you reschedule there? So, you know, bureaucracy with the way it is, they scheduled in Morgantown. By that time, it was Christmas time. I said, hey, I'm back in Rochester. Can you reschedule <laughs> so I'm back in Rochester? They rescheduled it. And then, of course, when they rescheduled, I said, hey, I'm back in Morgantown. Can you reschedule here? <laughs> That's so brilliant. They, yeah. So eventually, by the summertime, they finally got me. Oh, yeah. They had to you know, get the physical and all that. But they had a program. Uh, where they would guarantee training. Okay. I, okay. I'm. I like art. It's perfectly fine. But you know this electronic stuff because of the tape recorders and things. That's kind of interesting too. Yeah. So, I signed into this program for uh, electronics training in the army. Oh, awesome! That's yeah, great idea. It is. It is. So I went to basic training. After basic training, came out and went to the site where the training center was. And then in true Army style, I waited. Ah, hurry up and wait. Yeah, exactly. So I waited for about oh, two or three months. Oh, wow. Then, yeah, I mean, just sitting, nothing really to do. I mean, they would make work projects. Yeah. Um, but eventually they pulled me onto the office there and said, look, we've got a lot of people who want electronics training at this time. So, um, you know, we will give it to you. You know, you, you'll have to wait a little bit, but we will guarantee it because they, they're going to honor their their side of things. Right. But we we guarantee the training when you come out. You may be something else like a cook. Oh, we, boy. We didn't guarantee you the job. We guaranteed you the training. Wow. <laughs> they said, or, you know, we got another option, too. Um, you we need someone in a, in a place in Alexandria, Virginia to paint and draw. So wow. I figured, you know, what am I going to do here? You know, I could go to the electronics school and then repair field radios in Vietnam yeah. or I could go to Alexandria, Virginia. And I, I thought for about two seconds, I said, you know, I'll take Alexandria. That sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're <laughs> a civilized area. It's not so, as warm as Vietnam, but no, no. And the surfing isn't as good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I, anyway, I came here to Cameron Station in Alexandria. Um, uh, it, now it, it no longer exists. It's now just townhouses there. Oh, wow. Um, well, everything townhouses cool. out there now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was a small little army base at the time. Okay. But I just painted and drew for a few years. And uh, all the time, just playing in bands, playing music and stuff like that on the side. And I hooked up with a, a um, the community for creative nonviolence here. Okay, uh, what, what's that? They were sort of a radical uh, a peace group. Okay. Basically. Um, 
And long story short, basically, I got a, a, a CEO, a conscience objector from the army. Oh, OK, OK. So I left it and then I'm out. Well, so what do I do? Uh, you know, I, I went to uh, the National Gallery of Art and I worked there for about 10 years. Oh, wow. Awesome. Well, now, so doing... I, well, I've got this art training, so, you know, I got to use it. Yeah. And I'm kill me if I didn't use it. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I worked there and about halfway through my stint there, I was in the prints and drawings department. Okay. Um, where they have prints and drawings, obviously. I got right. things ready for shows. I matted stuff. I framed stuff. Ah, I, okay. I worked on some of those things if they needed repairs or things like that. Oh, um, okay. And then about halfway and remember, all this time I've been working with tape recorders and just, you know, fooling around with electronics on the side. And in bands also? Yeah, oh, absolutely in bands. Absolutely yeah. in bands. Okay. And halfway through, they, uh, they, they give us a tour of some of the facilities in the place. Just, this is just before the East Building opened up. Okay. And they were building a recording studio there. And they're having a problem getting some of the – I remember it was a power supply for something. I said, well, here's what you do. You just, you know, you just do this and you're all set. And he said, hey, do you know how to run this stuff? <laughs> I said, sure. It's easy. So I, I just flipped and I became the recording engineer. Oh, my God. It's, 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 uh, it's serendipity to say the least. So, so far, it sounds like your life is just a series of fantastic timing. It is. And it's not. I didn't set up the timing. I mean, it was all just sort of like it comes at me yeah. and I'm grabbing at it like, uh, I don't know what, the confetti in the wind. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, anyway, I, I'm the recording engineer. Geez. And after a while, after about five years, I left there and tried to be a uh, manager for a studio, an uh, independent studio. Oh, okay. And, yeah. And it was basically pushing papers and it didn't suit my needs. Yeah. So I left that. And all the time, I was recording in my basement where we are now. Actually, we're in the area. I'm in the area where the control room was. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes, the furnace room, which has furnace, water heater, all that stuff in the thing. <laughs> and, yeah, it's crazy. It's this is the control room. We had all the equipment in here, and there was one door, no windows. Oh, my gosh. So a lot of those, the early stuff, a lot of the teen idols and, and all of the minor threat stuff was done in this room. And it was in the summertime, we would mix and we just mix until the point where everyone was getting woozy from the heat. <laughs> and, yeah, the song is finished. That's great. That's, yeah. Sounds amazing. I, yeah. You'd have to, you'd have to strip down to your underwear just to be bearable in the room. I mean, because there's no windows. No ventilation, oh. absolutely none whatsoever. And you've got a furnace pumping away. You've got a water heater pumping away. Oh, my God. It's crazy. So it's your own it, little version of, like, Leonard Skinner's Hell House. Probably so, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So exactly. now, so basically, I'm almost, in a reverse way, I'm kind of recording in the same area that some of the, like, the seminal punk albums were recorded in. Yes, in a, Absolutely. In reverse fashion. Yes. But yes, this is what you're looking at behind me. We would have the the amplifiers and the speakers. Oh my and gosh. over to the over on the side, we'd have the mixer 
And to the right of me, we'd have the tape recorder and everything. That's incredible. Yeah, it's a small room. I mean, uh, I'm looking at it. It's probably about eight or nine feet across and maybe about 12 feet long. That's it. So how did you get started recording people down in your basement? Um, I was playing in bands with, uh, remember a group called the Urban Verbs? Yes. Okay. Yeah, now I hit your timeline yeah. a little bit. <laughs> Probably when you were a toddler, but that's what it's like. Yeah, it's, I, I know a couple of friends of mine are huge into punk, and so what they would do is they would find a band that they like, and then they'd work with their way backwards. Right. And right, so that right. that's how I've heard of some of these bands. Well, while I was at the gallery, um, I played in a band called Ravenstone, which you do not remember, I'm sure. No. Yeah, because there's no reason to remember it. It was, <laughs> it was kind of a, you know, it was not the best band in the world. Uh, we were kind of a cover band that threw in some originals here and there. Okay. But one guy in the band, Robert Goldstein, was kind of forward-looking, more than most people, more than me. Okay. And so the band broke up at, after a while, and he went into another band uh, called The Look. And he, uh, which had Howard Wolfing in it. Okay. Um, Howard was playing bass, and it was more of um, uh, alternative, new wave. I don't know what you call it. You wouldn't call it punk at all. Okay. Sort of poppy new wave. I okay. guess new wave is poppy. I don't know. I, all these terms, they make my head swim. Oh, tell me about but, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they were they were into more... 13 floor elevators and at the same time roxy music oh wow it was a mismatch of all different stuff and that's crazy they they knew i had a tape recorder and remember we're talking about tape recorders first it was mono and this this point i had a stereo tape recorder two channels two big channels (laughs) And, and um so robert um was in this band he said he knew i had this stuff and he said hey you know why don't you record us. We're playing at American University Tavern this one night. I said, right. sure. And I had a little sure mixer at the time and Radio Shack mics and, you know, like uh, low end of everything. It was right. below the low end. Right. It was the water. <laughs> and so I went there and we would record the band on one track, the vocals on the other. Okay. Wow. wow. <laughs> exactly. Not exactly stereo, but, right. <laughs> but uh, at the time when I recorded them there, there was a band playing band playing with them called the Slicky Boys. Okay. And the Slicky Boys, uh, Kim Kane is one of their guitarists. He said, hey, uh, you've got some extra tape? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, can you just record us at the same time? I said, sure. Wow. So I recorded them. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, low fi, low budget, low everything. Everything's low in here. Yeah. And <laughs> and I recorded them and they were plugged in to the whole, at the time, new wave scene, really, almost psychedelic, psychedelic punk, if you can call it, I guess. Oh, that okay. Would, wow. I don't know what, you name it stylistically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they, when we finished, 
they came to mix it, what mixing there is to do and, you know, tonally change things. And they came with their producer, which was Skip Groff. Okay. Yesterday and Today Records. Right, right. And he was really plugged into the, the whole new music scene, yeah. especially the punk scene. And so he said, hey, you know, I've got some guys to send to you. They're called the Teen Idols. I said, hey, sure. You know, I'm a fledgling. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I've got a tape recorder. Sure, I'll record them, anything. Yeah. Uh, and I recorded, and in those days, I recorded lots of different stuff, uh, weird stuff. You know, I recorded mime. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you know, you're still working at the Gallery of Art? Um, yes, during this time, I was working at the Gallery of Art. Yeah. Okay. And so I recorded these bands. He kept sending bands to me. And, you know, at one point, he uh, said, you know, I'm... Uh, uh, I've got these guys called the Bad Brains that I want you to record. Oh, yeah. And uh, he said, you do a good job with them. And I said, I'm not coming down there. And I later found out that he was just scared stiff of them. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he just sort of sent them, shoved them my way. Uh, <laughs> do a good job. <laughs> Enjoy. Yeah. Um, and that turned out to be the Black Dots album. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a great album. I yeah. So that I was lucky enough. I got a chance to see. I only got a chance to see Bad Brains live once, um, mm-hmm. just because of all things. But they actually opened up in Rochester for Living Color. So it was a it was a great. They played at U of R, and I went with my buddy. Bad Brains opened up, and that was the first time I'd ever really heard of them. And it was, this was like '92, I think. So they'd been around a while at that point, but uh, mm-hmm. that really yeah. Their, yeah, their they were in incredible. their day. They were a really, really energetic band. Oh yeah, Doctor Knows. Froze, oh, Doctor Knows. Hard was still amazing. <laughs> yeah. All right, Ooh, so you, so you recorded uh, Black uh, Bad Brains album. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So around that time, you know, Robert Goldstein was he was a good friend of mine when we were in the band together, and he was still good friends with me going through and all this. Right. I'm working at the gallery and he comes in one day and this is around lunchtime. He says, let's go out to, uh, let's go out down the street a couple blocks. I want to check out a place. So we go down to a place called, on 930 F street. Okay. And he says, it goes in there and says, uh, tells the owner, asks the owner, uh, you know, can we have music in the evenings? Cause it looked like the place is not getting any business. It was kind of like a luncheon buffet, but the buffet was, you're talking like steam tables full of vegetables that look like they've been there for weeks. Oh, God. Plastic silverware, paper <laughs> tablecloths, uh, plastic plates, oh. and nobody there. Little tiki lights on the tables. I remember that because it illuminated nothing. It didn't set the mood at all. <laughs> it, was, it was so terrible. It was depressing. Oh. It was depressing coming in there. And you, you're a visual got, guy. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, it was just, you know, it was both stimulating in the sense that, whoa, this is so weird. I'm kind of enjoying it. But it was depressing. It was depressing. But he went for it anyway. He he decided, uh, you know, hey, maybe I could pick up a few bucks. So they had music in there at night, and that was called the Atlantis. Okay. Uh, which was the 930 Club. Eventually, it, it renamed itself. Oh, okay, okay. 
And uh, I ran the sound there for the first uh, couple months of the oh. whole thing. I mean, we're talking about a really primitive PA. Oh, I think it's uh, the Slicky Boys PA they use. They had, you know, we had nothing, hardly anything. But I ran it no matter what. Someone had to run it. Yeah. <laughs> so who was who was playing there when you first started? Oh, all the punk bands that were around. Uh, because remember, punk at the time did not really have venues to play at. Uh, the clubs did not want them. I've heard that. I've had a few. Uh, you know, punk veterans on the show, like Kira Rossler and, and all, mm-hmm. and uh, they, they've all said that, that, you know, nobody wanted the punk bands to play. Right, right. So you had to make your own uh, venues, and it okay. was VFW halls. It was, uh, oh, just any place you could get to play. And the 930 Club, or the Atlantis at the time, was one of those things where Robert figured, maybe we get some kind of permanent residency here. So they had things going on, and they had uh, um, the Urban Verbs played uh, their first show there. They were called the Mystery Band. I actually recorded them that night, but you know I, I needed tape for something else later on. I was kind of you know hurting for money, so yeah. I recorded for it. <laughs> oh man, the way it goes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, so you know we um, so I did all that, and I was recording. I started recording more and more, and. You know, around 1990, 1989, 90, I got a new place in Sherlington uh, for the studio, a bigger place, moved out of the basement. Because the basement is, uh, I mean, I could show you the room, but it's, uh, I could take it <laughs> walk tour. It's got seven foot ceilings. I mean, sometimes the symbols almost hit the ceiling. Wow. What what brought on the change from taking it to the, the basement to uh, an off-site location? Was it just because the room was so small and you're actually... Finding success, recording the bands? Yeah. Yes, yes. Things were booming at that time. Okay. Things were really booming. Yeah, and you I were had, recording you know, bands like Fugazi at that time, and, and well, you had Bad Brains, Minor Threat, and... Yeah, it was Minor Threat, really. I think Fugazi, yeah, they, they may have recorded one album here okay. in the basement. I can't remember exactly. But it was, it was right after my stint with managing a studio, and which I kind of hated... So I left there, and all, come, all of a sudden, I'm out of work. Right. So I had to do something, and I figured, well, maybe I could just ramp this up a little bit. So I was doing that in the basement, and then after a while, I figured, well, maybe I can get a place that's actually commercial, a place that will really be a studio. And so we did that. So is there anything behind the name Inner Ear Studios? No. No, absolutely nothing. Oh. No, one of the engineers that was working with me for a long time, and I've had a bunch of engineers working here, um, just said, call it Inner Air Studio. And that's it. Wow. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sounds good. It's, it, that's the way it goes. I mean, before that, uh, I think some groups just called it Studio B the uh, basement. for basement. <laughs> <laughs> really? I mean, that's all. I, I may have been the Slicky Boys that gave it that name. But uh, it's just weird. So did, did you have to do anything special recording in the basement to get the sounds that you were looking for, or the sounds that the bands were, were hoping to get? I didn't know shit. <laughs> <laughs> start, let's start with that. Um, and acoustics, I mean, acoustics were something they used in the Philharmonic Hall. <laughs> I had no use for that. So... And I had a small space. The, the room I recorded in was small. The control room was small. 
there was no room for any kind of uh, treatment anywhere, if you can call it that. Okay. Um, so basically, I just cobbled together the equipment that I could, and I just use it the best I can. That's it. There was hardly any thought to acoustic. The the room that the band played in, and this included all the minor threat stuff, all the bands, Rites of Springs, Fugazi at the early start part. I mean, they would, the, the biggest problem was just fitting everybody in. That's oh, it. Wow. That's I all. Imagine, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, I know Ian had, I have a picture of him singing near the washing machine here where I'm looking. Because... <laughs> Just to get out of the room because it's too loud in there. Oh my gosh! I would kill to see that picture. That's but, amazing. You know, here's the thing: the this was the time that punk was emerging, and I happened to be in the right spot at the right time. If I had that equipment now, I'd be laughed off the street. Right. So it was just timing, just timing. It's the recurring theme here: timing. Timing, exactly. So Skip Groff kept sending me bands. And then when I got to know Ian McKay, he brought a lot of the Discord bands in. At the time, they were recording a lot. Yeah. And uh, it was just uh, things were happening. Man, that's that's such an awesome story. I, I, that's, to go from uh, your basement into well, – your basement actually ended up becoming a legendary recording venue. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's kind of crazy. It does. So, I mean, it, it. What? Oh, I was, I was just going to ask. Uh, and, and at this time, you're still. Are you still playing in bands this whole time? Um, no. Okay, so you because stopped once. That. Yeah, I stopped that, and then I never started playing again until maybe about uh, twelve years, twelve, fifteen years ago. Okay. Uh, I just never really liked. First of all, my guitar playing was so-so. And I never really liked the sound of my own voice. I know everybody says that, uh, but I say it too. Yeah. You know, so it's, uh, it's true. Know. I mean, nobody, I don't know anybody who likes the sound of their voice. Exactly. Nobody does. Nobody. I mean, I'll, I get singers all the time. We're mixing the album. I say, turn my voice down, turn my voice, down. put more reverb on it, yeah. put more reverb on it, you know, <laughs> do whatever you need to do to make it sound good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so you, you were in a band, uh, from what I gather, it's a short, kind of a short-lived band called Under Heaven. Right. It was about three years, I think, somewhere in there. Uh, around, I think it started in 1982. Okay. Um, and it was mainly because I had gotten married in 1976. So in 82, you know, I had taken off enough time from bands and stuff to just play a little bit in bands. Okay. And Howard Wolfing, who I knew... Uh, because I both recorded the Nurses, the band he was in, and the Slicky Band, the Slicky Boys, the band he was in, also. Yeah. Um, he said, you know, let's let's start a band that kind of in the kind of poppy, alternative, punky type mode, um, and play around a little bit. So we yeah. did did it for a few years, and we went through different uh, uh, permeations. Uh, it was myself, my drummer. And Howard for a while, and then we got a guitar player, a second guitar player in there, okay. and um, Mark Chickling, and he's which is he's playing with us on November seventh too. Oh, great! And um, so the three of us are original, and the drummer that's playing with us, Gary Smith, was playing with me way back in the seventies 
in Ravenstone. He was playing with Robert Goldstein and myself. Oh, wow. Okay. And he, uh, what happened was, you know, time goes on and Robert Goldstein dies two years ago, three years ago, somewhere in that area. And we're at the memorial service and we get to talking and he says, yeah, I, I have a, right now I live in Corolla, North Carolina, and I have a surf shop there. Uh-huh. Surf shop. You know, you know, I've been surfing for a couple decades down uh, in the Outer Banks. Okay. I usually go south in that area. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we should maybe hook up sometime and do some surfing. So we've played, he's come up here oh, a good 10 times, and we played just drums and, and guitar uh, at a bunch of places. Okay. And this past summer, um, I played with him in Corolla. He uh, he hooked up a whole bunch of dates, and I took about four trips of about a week or two weeks each, and we just surfed during the day and played at dives at night, and it was a great life. Matter of fact, I wow. I'll be I should get in my car and get back there right now. Yeah. <laughs> Sooner this is so, done. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when I I reached out to Howard around Christmas time, saying, "Hey, you know." Is this a crazy idea? Why don't we get he- Under Heaven back together again? You know, some of those songs I really kind of liked a lot. Okay. And you're singing I liked a lot, too. So we reached out to Mark Chickling, who was the guitar player, and he played in half Japanese. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. Yeah, and he, there's a couple other bands, too, of, of note. So he's playing with us, and uh, Howard's singing. Um, I'm singing. Uh, we've got both old songs and originals that we're going to be doing. Okay. And, uh, and, and some covers too. I mean, remember we're kind of, uh, Howard is kind of both punk and pop at the same time. Kind of a odd mix. If you put them into a blender, yeah. you, just and, you know, <laughs> just kept it going. Now, did you guys record anything when you were playing back in 82? We did. Okay. We did. Um, Actually, the one who recorded this was Ian Mackay. Oh, really? Yeah, because he, he came into the studio, and I said, Ian, can you press the buttons when you need to? <laughs> and so he was there with uh, with Eddie Janney from um, uh, Right to Spring. Oh, wow. In, in the control room. Matter of fact, they were playing rock as it comes a little bit into some of the tracks. Uh, <laughs> And we recorded four songs. They sounded pretty good. I think they're. I think Howard's got them up on Spotify. Quite frankly, you can check okay. them out. Um, yeah, yeah. They're really, they're really nice. I like them a lot. But it's not punk. It's not punk. It's more, more towards the poppy, kind of weird poppy alternative, I guess. I don't know what you'd call it, really. Okay. So we're going to be playing those and and some uh, some other songs too. So, uh, so you got to. You guys have gotten back together. How many dates are you going to be playing, do you think? I know, I know there's a few that I've heard of, I think. Um, well, we are going to start out on the 7th of November at the Black Cat. Okay. And then there's some tentative stuff going on. I don't want to mention it right now, but there's some things in the works. The, okay. the hard problem, well, the, the, actually the next night, the 8th of November, myself and Gary 
because Howard has to leave town uh, almost immediately after the date. Myself and Gary are playing a couple of doors down from the studio at the New District Brewing Company. Oh, okay. Uh, we're going to be playing a couple sets there. Oh, cool. It should be fun. And that'll be kind of like, it'll be lounging kind of pop music, too. It'll oh. be originals and covers thrown in, too. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. So what's what's on behind the name Under Heaven? Is it, it anything particular, or is it like Inner Ear, where it just sounds, somebody just came up with um, it? It took me a while to get it, but I'm dense. Uh, but <laughs> Howard said, oh, come on, don't you understand what it is? It's from Birdsong, you know, da, 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 turn, turn, turn. Oh, under heaven. Okay, uh, yeah. All that stuff. Yes, um, okay. So that's where he got that. He named it, the, the, the group. Ah, okay, okay. Well, that that makes sense now, because I, I was trying to figure that one out. Because it's all one word, right? Right. The, ba- the right. band name is, is one word. You guys played with some interesting people, apparently, back in the in the early 80s. Um, yeah. Let's see, it looks like... You open you you opening for pants like REM and the Bangles, was that right? Yes, yes. Wow, that it was amazing. That, Remember, those were amazing times during that era. Yeah, it's it's funny. Um, I just had uh, Annette Zelinskis on the show. Really? Wow. The, yeah, the original basis for the Bangles. So that's yeah. Timing. It's all timing for me too. Apparently now. Yes. <laughs> and now. Yeah. It was- and so you've, you've, you've started to record, um, yeah, and uh, beyond Fugazi and some of the other bands that you've recorded, um, you're getting, when, at what point did it go from local DC bands to nationwide, you know, uh, bands coming into town to record with you? Was there a, a specific point you, you kind of noticed that people were coming in specifically to record at Inner Ear and with you? Not a specific time, No. Uh, but what happened was basically if you hang around long enough, people take notice, uh, okay. good or bad. And I <laughs> guess, you know, it turned out pretty good. We're, you know, putting out some good work. And so people took notice of it. Um, we had bands from around the country coming in and even internationally coming through and recording. And so it's, uh, uh, it was, it was just sort of gradual. Okay. The name gets around your work gets around and they like it. And so there you are. Yeah. And, and, you know, the people you worked with early on before they were known when they, you know, some of them mm-hmm. have gone on to some amazing stuff. Ian McKay for one and Dave Grohl, yeah. the uh, scream recorded with you. So sure. Henry Rollins. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. How can I forget Henry? So, yeah. Um, Back to Under Heaven, last question I've got for you is, is there any new music in the works? Are you guys going to be recording anything? Oh, yeah. No, no, we will. The big problem that Under Heaven has, and this is not unusual with bands these days, I guess, is people live in different places. So Gary's living in North Carolina. Howard's living in eastern Pennsylvania. And myself and Mark are living here. So we are going to practice for a few days before this show. And then it's a matter of getting together and getting stuff for other shows too. Right. And we're going to be playing a bunch of new songs. I've got a bunch of new songs. Matter of fact, I probably have been playing uh, more consistently than other people have in the last 10 years or so. Okay. So it's, uh, you know, we'll be, we'll be 
bringing out the old stuff, taking new stuff in, a lot of stuff. Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. Well, I've, I've kept you for almost an hour, Don. Thank you oh, so much. Fun. You get to go on and on. <laughs> I, I would love to. So, I mean, well, I, I do have another question for you. And I guess sure. this one is just kind of a, a different angle I get. Well, angle's the wrong word. That makes it sound sleazy. Do you do tours of the studio? Do people come in and, and just want to see the studio at all? All the time. Okay. Okay. All the time. Because the one thing I would love to do at some point, my son is mm. huge into electronics. He go, he's he's kind of mirroring almost exactly what you said. He goes with the, his allowance and the money he saves. He goes and he buys old TVs, and he goes wow. and he pulls them apart and sees how they work and tries to read, tries to fix them and repair them, do all kinds of stuff. And yeah. I would love if if when we can get down to Alexandria, I would love to take him by the studio and, and show him, hey, you know, what you're doing could lead to something like this. Yes, absolutely, Ken. It, absolutely, that's actually. During that era where, you know, my friends are showing me how to make a tape recorder into an amplifier, we were going out on trash day. That my a friend of mine, who was also a guitar player, picking up those old Magnavox that people were throwing away. Oh, my God. And if the speakers were working, we'd use them for speaker cabinets. And if the amplifiers were working, we'd somehow get those to make them into amplifiers. Wow. So you're like talking like these those big old console TVs, right? Those big, yeah, Spanish oak or whatever, <laughs> Spanish walnut. <laughs> yeah, they had the big TV and some had like record players in them. And oh yeah, top open. All of them had record players. Hey, if you want to get anywhere, you got to have a record yeah. player. In. <laughs> Man, I remember every every relative's house I had I went to had one of those. My yeah. parents neglected to get one for some reason. But probably smart. <laughs> but <laughs> they didn't probably they didn't want to haul it around. We moved a lot when I was a kid. Yeah, oh, man, it, it was really something. It, but, you know, I learned a lot. I learned how to put things together. I learned about speakers. You know, you learn about impedance of things. And there's all sorts of things to learn about just doing it. You make a lot of mistakes. You know, you blow a lot of things up. But who cares? Yeah. You know, it's trash day, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was going to the garbage anyway. Right, exactly. So. And quite frankly, even to this day, I keep my eye out for stuff. I've found... The acoustic guitar I play with live was found in the trash. Oh, my God. Um, the amplifier I use was found in the trash. Oh, my God. Um, you just you keep your eyes open and you never, especially around this area. I mean, you too. There's some, you know, some more highfalutin areas. Yeah. They throw stuff that, you know, why do they throw it out? Yeah, it's like scratching dent sales almost, you know, it works perfectly yeah. fine. It doesn't look nice. Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting right next to a, a printer here. This has nothing to do with uh, music, but I someone was throwing out this printer. I took it home and took a look at the thing. It had ink already in the thing. Wow. I said, and it's working great. Oh my! It's working great. It's but you know that's my scavenger instinct. Pe people are insane what they get rid of. It's it's unbelievable. They, are. they definitely are. You did a hey, you did what? a um uh a presentation that I saw on on YouTube and. You played a little audio of minor, the guys in Minor Threat kind of discussing. Yeah, uh, yeah. creative mornings, yeah. Yeah, and so they're discussing, uh, almost, some would say arguing about how the audience perceives their song. Right. With the way music is consumed now in, in like one song bits and, and streaming on YouTube and Spotify, have you found the people coming in, do they have uh, do they approach music differently 
when they come into the studio or is, is it is it more to be consumed or is it more message like 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 minor threat you know they they wanted a, they had a message they wanted to put out and and they were concerned about how a live audience would would react to their songs and and if they would un- understand the meaning they were getting for their songs now it seems like everything is is more for the moment youtube spotify is do you see that much coming into your studio uh, i don't know if i'm ex- phrasing that question correctly no i know exactly what you mean okay uh, first of all people come in with different ideas about their art right uh, they have something maybe they have written some songs they just want to record them or else they're a band that's fully fledged and they want to make a record. I'm very goal oriented as far as what it's going to turn out. And I discuss with them beforehand, before we even start recording. Okay. What do you want to do with this? Who's going to get it? Who's going to listen to it? Uh, where are they going to listen to it normally? Uh, sometimes it's tough to figure some of these things out, but you can think about this and maybe, uh, make your songs, uh, you know, just control and arrange your songs so that it fills this customer need, client need, or whatever you call them, consumer. Right. And so it's um, it's it's very important. I think it's extremely important because um, this is going back. Um, I don't know if Howard told you I have a radio show too. Oh no. And, yeah, it's called Stagecraft. Okay. And it's um, it sounds like performance anxiety is, would be perfect on there. If you ever if you ever come into DC, let me know. Um, it's actually in Arlington here, okay. but we can have you on the show. Yeah, uh, it's it's live radio, or we do have some tape shows too. Okay, cool. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. I'd be honored. But it deals with basically. Okay, you have art. You have something of content that you want to present to people. How are you going to do it? so that people listen right. or watch. And, and we deal with musicians, comics, visual artists, sculptures, people, anyone who's going up there and stepping up on the stage and is ready to perform or to present something. This presentation is terribly important because the way you present your art, people are going to look at it or people are going to ignore it. That's true. That is very true. I had I had that problem as a photographer, as you know. Yeah. You oh know. yeah, I can see that. It's uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, and, and even you know, classmates and and teachers were were, were almost we they were treated exactly the same as a prospective client. If you're doing a showing, you know, uh, uh, audience member from it for a, in a gallery, it's this, it's there. That was one of the great things about RIT was that it you really. To, uh, I guess to use the, the phrase, you really grew up fast. And that's one of the reasons I ended up leaving was because I wasn't prepared to grow up that fast. So, mm. but, uh, <laughs> but I, I mean, it really did teach me a lot and uh, I'm, I'm grateful for my time there. And um, you said you have all kinds of, of creative people on this show. Um, where are you finding your guests? How, how do you reach out to them and, and get them on your show? And where can people find that so they can listen? Um, it, if they Google W E R A F M, uh, stagecraft or just Google stagecraft. Okay. Uh, it's just one word and it basically, uh, it, they'll, they'll find some archive. I think we've got about, uh, 60 or 70 shows on archives. Oh, great. And, and there's, uh, just last week we were with, I had Joe Lally 
and his wife Antonia on there. Uh, they talked about it, and you know, it's it's not about the music or the comedy routine per se. It's about how you present it and what you want to do and what you want to avoid and stories about, you know, some of the mistakes you've made, some of the high times that were good for you, all that stuff, basically to help people, to help artists get their stuff looked at and viewed or listened to in a correct manner. Um, you know, I could think of a lot of bands, right? You know, I'd love to tell them, Hey, why not do this? I think people would, listen more if you did this or tried this or made this a little more prominent or that a little more in the background. Yeah. So, you know, all those things are important. And when you step up on stage, people don't just want to hear your songs. They want them presented to you in a correct way. That's a great point. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's something to work on. And that's one thing that we're going to be working on with under heaven too. We've got songs, but I know songs, they can only go so far. You've got to really, you've got to put on a show that's worthy of them paying their whatever, 10 bucks or whatever it is they're going to pay. That's a really good point. And uh, I want to thank you so much for spending so much time. Where can people find the studio? Where can they reach out to you? Um, and if somebody's maybe interested in contacting you to, to book some time or if they're... Uh, want to kind of follow what you're up to? How can they reach out and follow you? Um, they could follow me or Inner Ear Studio on Facebook. That's probably the easiest way. Okay. Or they could go to the, the uh, our webpage, which is innerearstudio.com. And there's lots of pictures of the studio. There's, oh, just lots of stuff about the studio. And they could call me. My phone number's there. They could email me. My The email's there. And I will... I will answer every email or answer every phone call that I get. Oh, and we'll talk about your project. That is fantastic. Well, I'm definitely going to call you next time I get into Arlington because I want to bring my son to the studio to show him what can be done sure. with just little speakers and a, and a small tape recorder, what it can grow to. It's grown up from there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate all the time you spent with me. Oh, you're quite welcome. Quite welcome, Mark. Hello everyone, I'm Don Zantara from Under Heaven and Inner Ear Studio, and you're on Performance Anxiety. They're <laughs> listening to Performance Anxiety. <laughs> you're, listening, you're listening to Performance Anxiety. I'm Don Zantara, and welcome. Thank you so much. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 